All right, everybody. We have Jordan Poland here on the podcast with us. He is a property manager out of the LA area. And well, Jordan, I lost my note of where you guys are, what the name of the company, LBPM Property Management Company. I apologize for that. <laughs> You're the director of the single family home division for LBPM Property Management out of LA. Um, tell us a little bit more about you, a little bit about your company and how you got started. What's the story about, uh, behind Jordan? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, so what I do, we have about 250 rental homes um, and we're fast growing. So this is part of a larger property management company. Um, so we have, you know, properties in the thousands, right? So we have uh, commercial, retail, uh, multifamily, you know, that ranges from a few units to 100 plus, right? So we have all kinds of different properties that we're overseeing. Um, and we also have a large uh, HOA management portion of the business too. So um, that's kind of a different beast, you know, right? It's not really investment income per se, but it's, um, uh, it's you know, it still kind of ties in well. Um, and we also do maintenance as well, uh, you know, development consulting. So it's really kind of all encompassing. Um, and I have kind of my little space, uh, which is the houses. Um, so I kind of have uh, ownership over that. And, uh, and it's been an exciting kind of place to grow in LA because LA is, you know, <laughs> California is home of the home of the house, you know, it's home of single family and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, for better or for worse. Uh, and so it's kind of a cool space to work in. Um, and then I started in college actually doing some leasing work for this company. So I had an opportunity to do some leasing work at some um, student uh, housing oriented buildings. Uh, so in the summer, as you can imagine, there's a lot of turnover there. And so I was helping just work on a few buildings that were all walking distance from each other, just getting those units uh, clean, doing all the maintenance and getting new students in. Um, and it was such an exciting, fast paced work environment. And I love sales. I love working in that kind of space. Uh, and it was also something new. I knew nothing about real estate going into that. I mean, I, I was studying sociology. Prior to that, I was studying computer science and programming. And so this was just a completely new field for me, but it was really exciting. Uh, and I really liked that. So, um, you know, that was kind of my intro. Uh, and so when I graduated college, I didn't really know what I was going to do. And I had an opportunity, you know, it's all about connections, right? Um, and so I had an opportunity to work at this company and, you know, with, with almost no information, um, I jumped in and started working on a much smaller portfolio of houses. And just over the last few years, uh, we've just exploded. So just tons of growth, tons of new properties, and I've just been diving into it and, and trying to really own the space um, and take advantage of kind of the opportunity I was given. That's phenomenal. So, so property management, you know, it's the, the, the bane of most investors existence, you know, nobody wants to have to worry about managing their property. So the people that actually take care of those issues for investors, they're godsends. And so, um, what made you want to take the leap and jump into this type of, you know, line of work other than you enjoyed the work that you were doing with a little bit of like the, um, you know, the lease management side of things. And so what made you think, you know what, I'm going to try this out instead of trying to pursue something else. Well, I like a challenge. So there was like that kind of aspect to doing something just completely new. Uh, also, I, like I said, I studied sociology and so much of this, you know, because in these, in, when you study sociology, a lot of the classes are kind of oriented towards people that might be social workers one day, um, people working kind of in that space. And I once had a teacher that told me you can do social work anywhere in the world. You know, you can be the head of a multinational company and be doing social work. You could be working in a veterinarian office doing social work. I mean, anywhere you are, you could do it. And so 
I had opened my mind into what is something new that I think I could kind of jump into that feeds that kind of interest in me. Um, and houses are really a great space. So that property management in general, I mean, you just work with so many different people and personalities and, and you know, challenges. Um, and there's a certain enjoyment to the problem solving aspect of it. Um, and then also like being able to not be the bad guy, right? I think a lot of people view property management or landlords as kind of the enemy of the tenant and vice versa, right? Uh, the tenant's the enemy of the landlord and, and being able to bridge that gap and kind of make it um, a little bit more personal um, and, and making people feel heard and even just bringing an educated perspective um, to a business that really didn't have so many resources devoted to it, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, being able to kind of jump into that was just exciting to me. Um, and then also, like I said, the sales, you know, I, I love I love closing a deal and and working, uh, you know, in this space is there's leasing. I'm a real estate agent myself, so I do sales. Um, and it, it's just been a lot of fun, you know, uh, the, the whole the whole thing is fun, right? I get I get a little bit of everything in what I do. Not not the standard uh, nine to five sitting in a cubicle. You at least get to go out, get your hands dirty and do some fun stuff. Oh, yeah. We always say, you know, the, the background of our company has always been kind of roll up your sleeves. You know, it's never been the the kind of sexy corporate, you know, uh, we're not wearing suits. <laughs> uh, so, okay. <laughs> so it's been a lot of, you know, properties that, that we come in and, and they need a little bit of work um, uh, or, you know, maybe they're not in the best area. I mean, we have all kinds of assets. You know, we have really nice luxury properties as well. But just historically, it was a lot of, dive in, you know, uh, get in there, figure out problems, get creative and, and, you know, have the autonomy and the freedom to, you know, find your own answers. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And so you were saying that you are in charge of the single family portion. And so, I mean, whenever I, I've only been to LA twice. And so the majority of LA, whenever I'm looking at it, it's usually, you know, very, very nice properties. And then I'm sure that there are some, you know, multifamilies where people can try and find something that's affordable. So what's like the, the kind of bread and butter, um, property type, like, you know, size, location, things like that, that you are taking care of. So we really, I mean, so the company as a whole covers everything. Um, I don't think there's one okay. kind of asset we don't touch. Um, so, but within my smaller space, there's also quite a bit of variety. Uh, so what the, t the specific types of properties I'm managing, just for anyone that's not familiar with single family residential management, um, are houses, townhomes, and condos. Um, so, you know, anything that has one individual unit owned by one owner, or, you know, sometimes a couple owners, but it's usually, it's one unit. Um, and, and so that's, that's what we're looking at. And the way it works in LA um, are these are typically properties that have probably been owned for 10 plus years. Um, they're not usually a first you know, purchase um, where someone's jumping into it and trying to maximize value. You know, these are often properties that have been inherited. Um, you know, uh, maybe it's a 1031, they're trading out of something into something new um, and they wanna, that's kind of the only time we get, you know, like a purchase. But um, so yeah, so it's, it's a lot of, people that have had the properties for some time and they're looking for someone to, to take it over because they're usually professionals themselves. Uh, so they might be working in a real estate adjacent business, um, such as, you know, they might be an accountant, a wealth manager or something like that. Um, or they might just be completely doing something else, you know, uh, and they just happen to have this house or this property and they need someone um, who can navigate Los Angeles and California laws and legislations um, and, and kind of, figure that out because there's a lot, there's a lot to know and a lot to understand. 
Um, and so for me specifically, like if you're looking for what we're looking at, you know, like I said, I'm looking for, for houses that people have some equity in. Um, and maybe, you know, they, for whatever reason, they're moving out or they inherited it and they don't want to sell it. Um, and so they want to get a tenant in there who's going to at least cover the mortgage, probably make some money on top of that, and who's going to take care of the property um, because, you know, these these houses in L.A. are just worth so much money. I mean, even even the, the worst house in L.A. is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, so these are really valuable assets uh, for people. And, and so, yeah. I mean, we could spend hours talking about that and, and that's not necessarily <laughs> my specialty, right? I, I could tell you a little bit more about the house side of that. Um, but in LA, I mean, you've got, uh, uh, there's, there's a few different levels of rent control um, that you have to be conscious of. Um, there's no way for me to really talk about it without getting into jargon. Like, you know, there's this rent stabilization, um, which are properties that are 1978 and older, which is the strictest level of uh, kind of restriction on what you can do with those. And those are still subject to COVID, um, um, you know, restrictions right now. So even, you know, three years down the road, we're still um, navigating that. Um, and then, but that actually applies to no houses. So houses, unless it's owned by a corporation, are completely exempt from that. So we kind of have to operate under a different set of rules. Um, and so that's kind of where we're really helpful is that we can tell people this does apply to you. This doesn't apply to you. This is the right way to treat this situation because it's extremely confusing and it's only getting more confusing. So can you repeat that? You were saying that if it's owned by an individual and you're renting it out versus owned by a corporation and renting it out, there's there's different uh, uh, like rules and regulations. Can you can you clarify? Yeah, exactly. That so if you're a huge company like Invitation Homes, um, you're subject to the same stuff that that you know rent stabilized properties are, right? Uh, more or less similar similar restrictions. But the idea is, you know, my clients are are entirely mom and pop landlords, right? They're, they're, oh, okay. you know, they're not, they're not corporations. And so, um, the, the, there's an idea that, right. Like people like that should not be subject to the same rules because they have different goals. You know, usually they're a lot more caring for their tenants and they have um, a lot more understanding and a lot more, you know, kind of personal touch on it rather than just kind of maximizing the rental income and value. That's very interesting. I didn't realize that to where like if I let's hypothetically, I would go buy a single family home in L.A., then there's actually a different subset of rules for me because I individually own that property. And then I'm having your company, you know, help manage it. There's a little bit because I mean, everybody and their brother says absolutely do not invest in, you know, California and other places if you want to have, you know, tenants because the landlord laws can be crazy. And I'm from Indiana to where you can basically kick anybody out anytime. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's very interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah, a lot um, of our clients so, like one of my favorite things is when people come in and i can like tell them something about you know their options that just excite them right like they really are like wow i had no idea that my house could make this much money or could you know that we could do this right now and they're like that's my favorite thing or also being able to tell people hey you can't do that right like like you know uh, almost keep them within the space they're allowed to legally operate in and prevent them from doing something that could harm someone else or, or put them, you know, them and their property at risk. So that's kind of uh, what I love to do.
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like thinking about these properties, then you were saying that these aren't, you know, like your typical investors. And so not many people, if you're listening to a podcast, not many people are saying, yep, go out and buy something in LA because you're going to cash flow like crazy. Like, you know, that doesn't typically happen unless you find some sort of a very strange little niche. And so a lot of these people, uh, at least from what I'm assuming, whenever, you know, like you listen to the, like the David Greens of the world, they say, you know, people's needs change over time to where like somebody like me, that's, you know, relatively new to the investing game. I'm investing in the Midwest because I want to be able to get some cash flow to start building up that snowball. But then if you have some of these other people that, you know, they own a business or they already are doing super, super well, they're making seven figures in their W2 job as a surgeon or something like that. And they just want to have a property that they can basically park some of their cash into, shelter it from inflation, and then they can just ride some of the appreciation that you get on the West Coast. And so these are, you know, different types of people and different types of investors. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, different things work for different people. Oh, definitely. Yes. And we have had some kind of odd um, a one-off situations where we had, you know, someone that's on, I think, Board of Alphabet who has a family office, you know, buying properties where they're, you know, not just trying not to lose money. They're trying to just get, park that cash somewhere. And then they sold the property like three years later and, you know, probably made a small, very small profit on it. It's like everyone's got a different end game. And, and, and that's kind of the, the perk in what we do is that we don't have a one size fit all. I mean, it, it's like, we have something different for every client and, and understanding each individual need with each individual house. That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> I can talk. Yeah, for, that's fascinating. I've never heard of that before. I can talk for hours about HOA. So I'm going to talk specifically about how that affects what I do. Um, so when I'm managing condos and townhomes, I mean, this is, this is another thing that, that a lot of our clients need a lot of help on. Um, because they just don't know what's in their CCNRs, their rules and regulations for their building. They don't know what they're allowed to do or what they're not allowed to do. Um, and HOAs are so hit or miss, right? Like I have properties where they have very involved homeowners associations. Um, and again, I'm assuming people listening to this know about HOAs, but if you don't, um, if you live in a, a building that's condos, you know, individually owned apartments or townhomes, um, they usually have, uh, there's a shared ownership aspect of it. Um, and there are certain, you know, each, each one of these properties has their own, you know, rules set for them. So a lot of these, you know, you might have um, um, the, the community might take care of the, uh, the roofs for all the buildings, right? Like, so if there's a roof leak, they're going to take care of it, but they might not take care of repairing the interior of your unit when there is a roof leak. They're only going to patch up the actual roof. So um, that's, that's kind of the weird nuance of all of this. And because our company manages homeowners associations, we actually get a lot of referrals from people that are already using us for management on that side. Uh, so they own a condo, they're moving out or they just bought a condo, they want to rent it out. And they say, you know, you already manage the buildings, you have someone that can manage my unit. And that's where I jump in. Um, so we get a lot of stuff like that. And there's a nice synergy there, you know, where we can work with, um, you know, the existing supervisor for that building who's managing the HOA. And then we get a lot of clients who just come in and they're just, they have no idea how to get deal with their HOA. You know, they, a lot of these have very, very strict policies um, about how you can rent out your unit, what you're allowed to do. A lot of them restrict short-term rentals. So you're required to, you know, do longer term. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of that's being challenged actually in California. Um, so there, there's just so much nuance to that. Um, and just, you know, having us as a resource in how to deal with these little individual situations um, is really valuable to our clients. Uh, and so, you know, once again, when I get a maintenance request coming in that says, hey, there's a leak in my wall, my first thought is, is that a shared pipe or is that a unit pipe? 
do I call the HOA? Mm. Do I call the HOA management company, which is sometimes us, sometimes someone else? Um, or do I just send out a plumber right away? Or do I send out a plumber right away and then call the HOA and say, listen, I had to fix this leak immediately, but you've got to write me a check for the bill. You know, so it's it's all that little kind of, um, um, you know, nuance to it that that I can bring, you know, with my knowledge, I can say, I'm going to protect your property to the best of your abilities and make sure that, you know, you are operating, um, you know, in the best way within your building. That's very interesting. Yeah, because then it can be super valuable to people because if you have somebody who's, you know, well-versed in the HOA bylaws and the rules and things like that, like your company, if it was just me, mom and pop running something, and then there is a, a busted pipe or something, and it costs, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to fix, I'm footing the bill whenever I might not actually have to be according to the bylaws. So then if you have a company like you, you just paid for, you know, months, if not years of your service by just, you know, one thing, if you, you know, have a, uh, somebody like that on. Um, so a lot of our listeners are likely short-term rental investors. At least that's where the, you know, the fetch it, um, started up and that's what we're kind of focusing on. And so with HOAs, that's always like, you know, a lot of people say, if there's an HOA, don't even bother trying to invest there because things can change. So, um, in LA, I know that they're kind of tightening up on short-term rental regulations. And I, I, I know that your company doesn't manage short-term rentals, but have you seen anything like, or, or things changing in the HOA space for short-term rentals and like the short-term rental space in LA? Yeah. So I, I don't want to talk talk too much on this because I don't want to say anything that's not um, correct. But like I said, I know that a lot of that's sure. been challenged. There's been a lot of restrictions on, you know, what percentage of your community can be rentals, how long they can be rented out, what is the minimum rental length. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, you operating in the midterm range, you know, probably know more about this, right, than anyone. But, um, you know, so there's a lot of a lot of people have been challenging that. So there's a lot of homeowners that think that something is subject to them, um, but it's actually not. Or you might have something in your bylaws that can't even be enforced. Um, so there's been what I've seen the most of right now is challenging those restrictions because, I mean, you, you own a property and, and I understand, you know, everyone in the community has a say in it. Everyone in the community probably has some opinions and doesn't want to be affected by whatever comes with a short term rental. But at the same time, it's like that's a property you own, you know, like who's to say that you shouldn't rent that out? Who's to say you shouldn't challenge the HOA on that? Right. Like make your money, you know. Uh, so yeah, so we, yeah. we were kind of keeping an eye on that as we go. Um, because though we don't currently manage um, uh, short-term rentals, we do refer a lot of business out. So we get a lot of our clients that want to do a short-term rental just to maximize their income. Or we get a lot of clients that have furnished rentals. Um, so, you know, they moved and don't want to touch their furniture or they're trying to make a little extra money and they want to leave the furniture. And sometimes that makes sense to do as long-term rentals. Sometimes it makes more sense to do as short-term. Um, and so we refer a lot of the business to people we work with um, who, you know, really do that and understand the permits and the laws and, and really kind of can, can you know, uh, maximize our clients' uh, income. That's excellent. So, uh, like one of the, you know, within your business, like the, the biggest HOA headache that you typically see, what would you say it is amongst the long-term rental community and like people that are having issues with uh, a property that they may own, whether it's within a building or if it's a, a townhome within a community or something like what's, what's kind of the biggest HOA gripe that you usually hear? I think the biggest thing is just responsiveness. Um, I think that it's so difficult sometimes to get a hold of the HOA manager. And that's why a lot of homeowners end up paying for things that they shouldn't. Um, so they, they just, they get so frustrated and, and they just, they cannot get the, sometimes it's, it's even the uninvolved board, right? It's just, it's the sense that sometimes our tenants have a complaint about the property or have a maintenance request that I can't fix. You know, they're saying, oh, the trash bin's overflowing. I, I don't control, you know, the, the waste management account, right? I can't deal with that. 
Um, but I know the people that can, and I know how to get a hold of them, right? And I know the right things to say, and I and I have the right connections within a lot of these companies who are competitors. I know a lot of people there, so I can kind of work our way in and uh, kind of get it done. But I would say the key is just you know having problems that I can't fix, and then knowing there is someone who can fix them, and they don't really want to deal with me because it means work, you know. Um, and and yeah. so that's that's kind of the biggest issue. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, um, like property management, uh, um, I would assume your answer would be for everybody, but who do you say that property management is like, is like the best fit for, is it more for the, obviously for like the, the type of hands off investors, um, but people like what, what would be the biggest like selling point for somebody going with a property manager versus doing it on their own and trying to bootstrap it themselves and trying to, you know, pinch pennies and not have to pay that whatever percentage fee for uh, property management. And so if somebody came to you and said, Oh, I'm not paying you for that. I can do that myself. Uh, you know, uh, what, what, what's your, uh, your pitch for basically saying that, you know, property management is absolutely worth it. So I think the the tricky thing about houses is that anyone can probably manage their own rental. You know, it's not extremely difficult to manage one house. Um, especially if you find a great tenant, the problem is what happens when there's a big leak in your kitchen. Um, and it's taking some time for your insurance to take care of it, or it's a bigger repair than you expected. And now the tenant's telling you, I'm not going to pay rent next month. Um, and, and because there's this leak or I can't use my dishwasher. And then that's usually when people call me and I tell them it's too late. You know, I, mean, I, I can't jump into this really contentious, complicated relationship and work my magic. You know, it's like, I'm, I, I'm not a mediator, you know, that's not what we do. Um, what we like to do is be involved before that happens. So the key is don't wait until it's too late. Um, there's, like I said, we're talking about some of the legal aspect of this. It's, you know, our lease at this point is like 30 plus pages long, you know, 20 years ago is two pages. So it's just, that's, that's what California is. That's what LA is. And you have required disclosures. Um, one of the rent control things we're talking about, this is the most important thing. Um, is there's assembly bill 1482 which uh, you know enacted uh, rent controls across every property, every rental property in California, except for there's some exemptions for houses and condos, but you have to serve a notice telling them they're exempt. So you actually have to include in your lease, it's, it's just a couple pages, it's called the rent cap and just cause addendum. You only have to include a couple pages and that gives you freedom from those restrictions. But, you know, people just don't know to do that until it's too late. You just have to tell your tenants. But it, once once you've missed that opportunity, you've missed that opportunity. So um, it's really the key is getting us involved before it's too late and, and kind of expecting the unexpected. Um, and I always say your best bet, your best investment with a rental is in the leasing. You want to get a great tenant in there and that will stop 99% of your problems. The better tenant you find the better care they take of your property, the, the better kind of care they have for, for the people they're working with. Uh, and I just think that's immensely valuable. Um, so I think that's kind of my pitch for property management. Um, and then in terms of who our clients are, we have a, a kind of a range of people. Um, you know, there's one set, it's the inherited homes people. So, you know, you might have a family member who's left you a home um, and you don't know what to do with it, right? I mean, in LA, just with property values, it's like the average house you're gonna get, it's like a million dollars, you know? So all of a sudden you've you've inherited a million dollars in equity, essentially. Um, and what do you do with that? And a lot of people wanna rent it out um, and, and, you know, they might be local, they might not be. Uh, so we get a lot of people that basically own in cash or have a small loan um, and they wanna get some passive income. 
So that's a huge portion of our business. Sometimes people inherit actual small portfolios. So sometimes maybe 30, 40 years ago, someone was buying up houses at a time where property values were lower, property taxes were lower. So you could kind of make the numbers work a little better. Um, and, and they might have five homes, 10 homes, 20 homes. You know, we have a couple people like that. Um, and then sometimes you get people that just buy a second home. You know, maybe they're moving locally within LA and they have sentimental attachment um, or they just want to start getting some passive income. They're excited about being a landlord. Um, we have a lot of people like that or they might be moving out of state for work or for any other reason. Um, and they need someone that's going to be their eyes and ears uh, on the property. Um, and then kind of in that same vein as the inherited homes, you get a lot of people that have a family member that they need to move out of their home. You know, maybe it's not safe anymore or they needed some kind of assisted care that they can't get within their home. Um, and their family doesn't have the heart to sell the house, right? I mean, this is grandma's house. This is dad's house. Um, this is the house I grew up in, right? You can't sell that. Um, and so we do a lot of work with those people. So that's kind of, you know, our three sets of clients. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean the total company we're in the tens of thousands. So so we're we're in a we're we have a large number of units under management. Um and so like I said, we do everything and it's valuable. I get the resources of a larger management company. Um and you know, COVID affected all of our divisions differently. Uh, so among my 250 or so houses, um, they, they were also got kind of the lighter brunt of it. Um, you know, we were lucky to have a lot of tenants who were not as affected financially by COVID. Um, and some of the nature is that, of that is just houses tend to have a higher rent. And, you know, a lot of people tend to have more white collar jobs that were lucky enough to not be as affected by COVID. Um, and then. So that was kind of part of it. And the other really lucky piece we have of working with mom and pop landlords is people are much more understanding, right? Like if you're working for, or if you're, sorry, if you're living in um, a building managed by a large corporate management company like Graystar or something like that, you know, you don't really have a human on the other side of things like looking at your individual case. Um, I was lucky I had a lot of owners who said, that's totally fine. If they need a month off of rent to, to recover, I'm going to do it. You know, if they need, um, a $2,000 reduction in their rent or $1,000 reduction in their rent, you know, indefinitely. I'm going to make that happen because it's not to me about every dollar. It's about, you know, caring for who I work for and who, you know, who I work with and, um, and, and just kind of having that positive relationship. So I was really, really lucky in that space. Um, and then that being said, you know, we did also deal with a lot of people that were out of work um, and, and kind of, you know, people that were working on getting, um, you know, money through some of the state programs and and just, you know, finding ways to kind of make ends meet during a really difficult time. So we as a management company sent, uh, I mean, immediately when COVID kicked in, our clients freaked out. You know, everyone freaked out, right? We we're all freaking out. So we started doing yeah. like a monthly <laughs> newsletter like this is what's going on, you know, right? Like, I mean, we, honestly, we could have done it weekly. That's how that's how much things were changing, you know? Um, and it was like, just, this is what we're dealing with right now. Be prepared. Um, I had a lot of clients that were reading things on the news and being like, what does this mean? You know, and that's where I came in as a resource. I could kind of define what that actually means. Is that just something scary people are putting in the news or is that actually something valid that might affect your home? Um, and so uh, we kind of kicked into gear with that and we got, 
on any available funds. So, I mean, this, this went to our clients, but paid off our tenants rent. So we were able to help everyone. It was just, we got signed up for these programs immediately. We called tenants and said, this is how to do it. Let's work together and get this money in. Um, and our clients were able to basically continue paying their mortgages. Um, and, and so it was just really kind of um, holistic involvement in all of this. Um, and so anyways, yeah, so we, like I said, luckily, I mean, it was definitely a tough time and a scary time. We're still dealing with some of it, but luckily we were able to really all work together and, um, and kind of have humans on each side of, of the um, kind of work we were doing. Yeah. And so, and that's, that's amazing. So just big thing to highlight for listeners and that, that just sold why you should have a professional company managing your properties. Because if you have, you know, somebody that's mom and pop Joe Schmo that is trying to manage this property, and then you have a black swan like COVID come through and hit, you're listening to the news, trying to figure things out. You're not an attorney. You inherited grandma's house. You're trying to rent it out. And then you're trying to figure out how to do this. And then you don't understand all the, you know, the possible litigation that might come with things or, you know, the different, uh, resources and programs that are out there. And you guys, you have an entire company and an entire team that's looking into these things for your clients and helping them be able to, you know, get the, get the, uh, the renter to be able to get whatever assistance that they need to be able to then pay their rent so that the other, on the other end, your clients are still able to make their mortgage payment and they're not having to worry about anything. And so, yeah, people that are, you know, think, uh, very short-sightedly and they think, oh, well, if everything's going great, sure, I can manage this property, but it's whenever things go bad is whenever it's, it's invaluable to have a really good professional company. And so that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So that addendum, that, that was something that I had never heard of. And we, we, yeah, we kind of rushed past it, but I, I wanted to touch on it again. So thank you for bringing that up, Yoni. I, I think a lot of people, if anybody is investing in California, their ears probably perked up if they hadn't heard of that. So can you just kind of go a little bit more in depth on that? And you, you said it just involves basically adding an addendum, but then, you know, uh, uh, maybe uh, a little bit more on yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a very short addendum. And the key here um, was just knowing what this was. I mean, so in 2019 was when we first heard about this and it um, took effect in 2020, but the initial reg, uh, you know, requirements for it were so simple. It was inform your tenants that they are not subject to this, that this rent control does not affect them. That was all you had to do, right? It was the easiest thing, send them an email, you know, mail them a letter. It was so simple. Um, and then, you know, this is where it got tricky was, just wait till you get halfway through 2020, and then you got to have this in all your leases. So it's not as simple anymore. Okay. You got to do a lease renewal now. You got to do a change of terms. You got to start every new lease with this. Um, and as a management company, we've been growing really fast, so we get a lot of uh, mergers with other companies as well. So you know, I had about 70 homes uh, jump into our portfolio, and not a single one of them had this. Not a single one. So I'm looking at 70 different clients and going, "Whoa, all of you." you know, are compromised currently, you know, the, the something that was written specifically for you as an individual homeowner with one rental, you know, maybe a fixed income, right? This is, uh, you know, so essential. And so we, we, we jump in and just started getting these out to all the tenants, but essentially how, what this was, um, is 
you know, it's kind of like walking that fine line between increasing uh, tenant protections while also not discouraging development um, and mom and pop landlords, you know, the people we're talking about. So what this applies to is any property that's over 15 years old. So, you know, think, you know, they don't want to, any new developer that goes, knows they're going to immediately be jumping into rent control doesn't want to build anymore. So, um, th so this is properties that are over 15 years old. Um, and, um, and like I said, you know, owned by, you know, they, if they're owned by a corporation or something like that, you know, this kicks in. Um, but houses are protected. Most condos are protected. Um, and new buildings are protected. So new multifamily. And so just really knowing who this applies to um, is so key in, in protecting yourself. And the funniest thing about these forms, uh, so I'm a realtor, so we have access to a, like a standard form that any realtor would have access to. And I recently got a property that was owned by a real estate agent and they had this form in their lease, but they forgot to check the box that says this property is exempt from it. There's one box you check that oh, says shoot. this is exempt. And if you forget to check that, <laughs> it's like, that's it, you know? Uh, so it, it's just, it's really just, you know, knowing how to do this very simple thing that really protects you as an owner um, and allows you to, and what it allows essentially is it doesn't have any restrictions on rent increases. Um, so if you're really under market, you can do the increases you need to get to market. Um, and it, it allows for just cause evictions. Um, so what that means is, you know, let's say uh, you have a family member that needs to move into your house. Um, you know, they lost their jobs. They're going through a hardship. You need to get a family member in there. You're allowed to evict your tenant for that purpose, right? It's not... I want to evict so I can sell the home. It's I want to evict so I can get a family member in here. Uh, it's taking it off the rental very market. So there's protections built in for the very people we're talking about, mom and pop, you know, um, and, and protecting their kind of interests. That's super interesting. I had never heard of that before. And so whenever you're talking about these exemptions from the rent control, and so like, let's say, let's, can you, can you give me a scenario of like a client that, you know, does not have this exemption and then a client that does have this exemption and then like, whoa, uh, you know, the, the cons of not having the exemption, like what, what that scenario could look like for them. Yeah, so we had um, a client who joined with us. This is the one where they had the, um, the notice in their lease, but they just didn't check the box. So they joined with us. Um, so, and their insurance went up, their HOA dues went up, and then they had a large amount of maintenance that they had to do in the unit all of a sudden, like plumbing issues, just six year old building, the pipes needed to be replaced and the HOA wasn't gonna cover it. So this is kind of exactly everything we're talking about. You know, it's like uh, all the issues hit at once and you know, the owners just couldn't deal with it anymore. Um, so we were able to jump in there and kind of help them figure it out because they needed to increase the rent. But with the current lease, they were unable to increase it to a level that would cover just these additional costs. They weren't even trying to make money. They weren't even trying to get to market. They just needed to cover these costs and they couldn't do that increase. And so now we're delayed, you know, about six months as we reincorporate it into the lease. Uh, we give enough, you know, uh, notice ahead of time of what the rent increase is going to be. And as we repair all these maintenance items and kind of work through all of this. So it just, you know, really delayed, um, you know, what they needed to do and they're paying out of pocket basically in the meantime. So they're taking the loss right now and we're just trying to help them work through it. Um, versus clients we have that did include this in the lease um, and did have extreme hardships. You know, they got really sick and uh, needed access to their home again because they needed to move back close to family. 
that was a case that we dealt with. So someone had a house that they'd been renting out with us for about 15 years. Um, so we'd had it for quite some time and the tenant had been there for some time and they got sick and needed to move close to their kids. And so they said, I need to move back into my home. It's never an easy thing to tell a tenant, but we also have to understand, you know, the humans on both sides of it. So she needs access to her home. She owns it. She's sick. She has a valid reason. And so we were able to serve the appropriate notice to the tenant to inform them, to give them a nice time frame to find a new place, to assist with finding them a new place, and to get the owner back into their house. That's phenomenal. So, so the just just a quick ending. Uh, so the um, the amount of increase that people are allowed to do without the exemption, what what is it capped at? Uh, if you don't have it's so if your property is pre nineteen seventy eight, currently there's no rent increases. Um, and the tricky thing is that even applies to condos. So if you have a house, you're good. But if you have a condo or a multifamily building that's pre nineteen seventy eight, we've been frozen on rent increases since twenty twenty. Um, so. Yeah. Oh, okay, I, I'm so confused by that. So, what's what's the 1978? Like, what what's the uh, what's the stipulation there? What's the justification behind that? If you're, uh, aware? I don't want to get too deep into that. Like I said, just because that's that's sure more specific to the multifamily space. Um, but but this was okay. you know um, you can look into the history of it, uh, and there's kind of a whole background between you know it was a time period where there was a lot of hardship and a lot of you know tenant advocacy. Um, and so this was a way to protect people from getting large rent increases um, and getting people from, you know, being removed from housing. Um, so so that was kind of the background to it. Um, and so this, you know, and it's so funny because you can kind of look at developments over the times and it's like a lot of those buildings all of a sudden became condos because it was like it didn't make sense to keep it as an apartment. You know, you couldn't you couldn't keep up uh -huh. with inflation um, and, and with, you know, just you couldn't do the rent increases you needed to do. And so it's like time to do a condo conversion or time to just sell these office condos instead of keeping it as an apartment or whatever the reason might be. So there was kind of, uh, there's a lot of nuance to that. Um, and then this more recent um, uh, regulation is, it's a little little more generous. So it's um, 4% or I think 4 or 5% plus CPI. Um, and so with a maximum of 10%. So like this past year, because, you know, inflation has been so high, you are able to do that 10% increase, um, which is, you know, which is not bad enough. That's a pretty good increase, right? So if you know what you're doing and you understand the law, um, you can kind of maximize what you're doing there. Um, and then if you um, are exempt from it, there's really no restrictions. So we had some weird kind of um, like emergency situation laws kick in where you can't um, like no price gouging laws, like you couldn't do increases on, on housing more than 10% just because we were in a state of emergency. Um, so it's, this should all just tell you how nuanced and specific you can get with all this. And I mean, even the lawyers are like emailing us back, like, we don't know. <laughs> like, like let someone else go to court. That's not what you want to yeah, hear from your like, lawyer. Else, like the law says this, but I don't know what the court's going to say, because this might technically be illegal, but this is what LA city council passed. And you know, it, it was just a, a lot of confusion and hopefully we're kind of exiting into a more clear uh, defined space. That's fascinating, man. So yeah, once again, that just, you know, sells the point of why having a, a competent and well-organized uh, property management company can just save you so much time, so much headache and possibly litigation, you know, by having somebody that's on your side that knows what they're doing instead of you trying to figure it out. So yeah, just a, another huge advocate or, uh, you know, uh, justification for why property management is phenomenal. 
but okay, I think we're going to move into some of our uh, uh, our closing questions because we're rounding out on uh, about 40, 45 minutes already. So uh, we'd like to ask some of the same questions to our guests and kind of tailor a few of them just to, um, you know, uh, pick their brains a little bit on what they, what they, uh, what they, what makes them tick. And so one of the first books that we like to ask people is, uh, what book have you read in the past that has changed your you know perspective or has had a big impact on your sure. life? It doesn't have to be a business book. doesn't have to be a real estate book. It could be any book. <laughs> I don't want to be cliche, you know, so there's a ton of like, you know, great real estate books and, you know, great how like Jay Shetty. I love Jay Shetty. You know, he's got some great books. Think like a monk, you know, uh, uh, Atomic Habits is a great book, but you know, it's a book, like if I were to say a book that like really actually changed how I look at things, um, I'm, I'm a fiction guy. I love a great story. I love a novel. Um, and Shogun, oh my God, Shogun changed the way I read and the way I looked at things. And if you haven't read that book, it is just fascinating. It's just this thousand page novel. And it's it just, I, I'm all about my life, you know, is all about living a full life and and really enjoying everything and, and leaving behind a story and a legacy, right? And and that book was just like, it's just so rich with, with, with story. I just, I mean, I, I love stuff like that. That's fascinating. So I, I've never heard of that book and I see, I see Yoni's face. He's thinking, so I think he's reading about it right now. So can you give us just like the 30,000 foot overview of kind of like what the book's about? And if, uh, so people could, uh, you know, think if they want to go out and take, uh, you know, so read it themselves. Someone's journey through feudal Japan uh, at a time when uh, there was kind of some colonization efforts um, and just kind of the craziness of Japanese, I don't want to say craziness, but like the, the kind of the different um, customs of Japanese culture versus European culture um, and trying to navigate that and just the feudal society with the way, just the way they operated in life was just so different. Um, and so it's just, like I said, it, it's, it's both a plunge into some of that, you know, historical fiction. Um, uh, but also, like I said, just a great story. Like I live my life like minute to minute. Like I like to be gripping, like, I like to know, I, I want to be, I don't want to be able to put down the book, you know, and that's a book that you won't put down. Right. It's like every inch of it is interesting. Um, and, and honestly, there's something about that that energizes me. Like I just <laughs> makes me want to keep going. Like, I'm just like, I love like TV shows too. Right. Like, like, like Yellowstone, things like that are just such like these, like, fascinating shows that just make you want to just get to the next episode, get to the next day of life, you know, enjoy it. It's just, it's, I love stuff like that. That is super interesting. I've never heard of that book and I will be going to Amazon right after this <laughs> and I'll be ordering it. Cause I'm, I am very intrigued. Um, okay. Yoni, you want to take us into the next one? Oh, Yoni, I think you're muted on me, bro. Yeah, luckily, you know, I had the the great, um, you know, uh, opportunity to join a well-established large management company um, that had a lot of great um, kind of uh, inspirational figures already within it, you know. So, um, I mean, everyone from the ground up in this company knows each other, uh, you know, we're at like 300 or so employees. But I mean, even then, it's like people are really integrated with each other um and know who they are so like my supervisor is really like the you know is the vp of the company he's he's really like like um knows his stuff and has a really you know rich background in it and even the founders of the company you know are involved and will talk to you and you know uh will give knowledge right and and this is you know 30 plus years of of la specific real estate knowledge um and so just 
seeing everyone work and like knowing what they're working on and seeing, you know, so many people in the company went from reception to running a department, um, went from the file room to running a department, you know? And so it's just, it's a really inspirational environment to be in. And I just think I'm lucky to have had a few direct supervisors that really um, kind of took an interest in me and my development and gave me the room to grow. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, next question then is, uh, do you have, you, you mentioned atomic habits and that's, I, I mean, in, in the short life of our fetch it, uh, you know, podcast, we've now had atomic habits mentioned twice. And so do you have any sort of, um, you know, feedback that you can give people on things that you've done habit stacks or anything like that, that helps you performing I mean, at a high level? This stuff, like habit stacking is obviously really important. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, just a quick, you know, running into that. It's like just setting up routines and, and how you operate and, you know, going from one thing into another. Um, I just think like when you're working and when you don't want to slow down, I mean, that's the key, right? Like either you're in a nine to five and you want to maximize those hours or you're not in a nine to five and you need to maximize your day and your life. You know, it's all about that, right? From the day, from the moment you wake up, the moment you go to bed, there's something to be done. Um, and it's easy to, to fall out of that. So just knowing kind of what you're getting into. Um, but honestly, I mean, the most important stuff I think has been more interpersonal, like relationship wise. Um, like I think allowing yourself to reset as you enter into a room, like giving yourself some of these reminders and these habits of just, you know, um, giving, like not bringing in whatever energy you had with you before um, and reminding yourself to do that is valuable. And something I do with my wife is um, we spend an hour together every day that's just focus time. So um, oftentimes that's going on a walk or on a treadmill or something similar like that. And we just talk, we don't have our phones out and, and we don't set boundaries on what we're gonna talk about. Um, and just having someone grounded um, and someone that I'm so integrated with, just being on my team, being on each other's team is I think so essential. And I think it's all about, you know, the people you have around you and not building up walls, you know, just taking those people with you wherever you go. A lot of people say, you know, I'm not bringing work home. Um, and that's, I think there's a lot of people that's really valuable for. For me, it's so important that I bring work home. You know, it's so important that I, that I have someone to talk to that helps me really kind of reframe how I think about things and give me a fresh perspective. That's amazing, man. Love it. Yes. Yes. The key is kind of what we talked about. It's like, find those people in your life that have a house and protect them, you know, tell them to get help, right? Do not wait until they have a tenant that is not even covering the mortgage and then the owner's sick and needs that money, right? Do not wait, you know, to, until you're in an eviction. Do not wait until you're in some large contentious dispute, you know, get someone involved from the beginning and your life, you know, it pays for itself, like we talked about. So I think that's so important. And we're really trying to connect with like real estate professionals and adjacent people, you know, wealth managers, accountants, anyone that works on this stuff. It's like, help your clients out, you know, help out anyone you're talking to and just get them in front of a professional because something that used to be very casual, you know, maybe 40, 50 years ago is no longer like that. Um, so, you know, you might've been able to buy a duplex 50 years ago and not thought about it on your waitress salary, you know, but nowadays you need help and it is a professional business and it's a very high value to the properties you're working on. 
Um, so I think that's kind of my message that I try to send out to people. Um, uh, cause I hate having to turn people away because they came to me too late. Um, we are already in an addiction mm. or something like that, you know? Um, so that's really key. Uh, and then getting a hold of me, uh, email me or go to our website. Our website is lbpm.com. So L like Larry, B like Bob, P like Paul, M like Mary, um, lbpm.com. There's a contact us form on there. Anything you need property management, or if you just want to get in contact with me, you can find me there. Um, or you can email me. Uh, my email is is my first initial J and my last name Polon, P-O-L-O-N, at lbpm.com. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Half my day is just talking to people. I just t- I give people advice. I get so many clients that aren't ready for management now, but just kind of want to get a little information. So I'm always, always ready to talk to anyone that's interested in this, you know, even even minimally. Love this, man. Love it so much. So anybody out in the LA area, if you need a, a rock star team to take care of your properties, uh, get a hold of LBPM. And uh, okay, Yoni, got any other questions? You want to get us out of here? Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. You guys are both great. And it's always a pleasure just to be able to talk about these things with people that are interested and and, <laughs> and know the right questions to ask. It's fantastic. Thank you so much, Jordan. We really appreciate it.